of God, we bring glory to all the nations around us. And you know, that's really the uh, heartbeat of what our life should be like. If I could change one thing in the church at large and here at DCC, and I'm working on it here, is that when you wake up in the morning, this would be your thought. Today, if you're a plumber, I'm going to repair a leaking faucet. And God is thrilled with that. He is absolutely pleased. He's excited. Today, when I wake up, I'm going to prepare my young children for school. And God is ecstatic about that. He can't, he can't wait to watch it unfold. Today, when I wake up, I'm going to plant a tree. And God is excited about that. Because this is going to reflect His glory. This is what life is all about. If you're a younger person, today when I wake up and go to school, I'm going to learn something. And I'm going to have fun. I'm going to play football. I'm going to do whatever. And God is excited about that. So I ask you, who's more important in God's plan? You? Because whatever you do, you are out among the nations reflecting His glory. Or me, or Mark, or Annika, or Tom, or Jude, because we equip you to do that. You know the answer. You are the ones out there on the front lines reflecting the glory of the Lord. That's what you do. You're a blessing to the nations. And that's the whole purpose of worship, is to be a blessing, to reflect the Lord's glory outward. We uh, started a series last week called Waking the Dead. What happens when the dead are awakened? We don't have a lot of experience with that, so we're looking in Ephesians. We named it because of Ephesians 2, which we'll actually look at next week. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you've made a lot, been made alive together in Christ. What happens when the dead awake? Last week, we looked at uh, Ephesians 1, and I argued that when the dead awake, they begin to cross uh, lines of, to people that are different than themselves. I argue that Paul was speaking from a Jewish perspective to the Gentiles. And then in verse 13, he said, And you also, Gentiles, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. So the first thing that happens when we are awakened from the dead is we begin to reach out to people different than ourselves. Okay. So then today I want to look at the Thanksgiving and prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in verse 15. This prayer, if you just read it, is a, it appears a little bit mundane, and I'm going to work to overturn that and give you a different perspective because he's using language all throughout here that the first century um, Christians would have, would have begun to grasp and understand. So picture just for a moment that you're living life. Remember, he's writing this church, I think, to the churches of Asia Minor. He's writing this letter to the churches of Asia Minor. It's a circular letter. That's the position that I hold moving among all the churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, all right? Gentile churches. So imagine just for a moment that you don't have, um, you don't have the New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. In fact, when you get this letter, this is probably your first version of the New Testament, the Greek scriptures, and it's coming from Paul. How much do you know? And you're trying to make sense of this excitement that you're feeling. The, the Spirit has been moving in a very dark world, you came to know Christ and, and, and your eyes were opened. We'll see that phrase in just a moment. And you began to observe things that you hadn't seen before. And then you read these words from Paul. 
When I read these words, I want you to think of somebody that is jumping up and down. I would do it, but I can't read while I'm jumping up and down. Okay? Jumping up and down with excitement. Listen to this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have stopped, not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all, all my prayers. He's just, he's shouting joy from the day I began to hear of you individual churches out there uh, being faithful, right? Your faith in the Lord and your love for all his people. We just saw that phrase in Psalm 96, all his people, all the people, all of creation. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. This is a prayer of excitement. This is a prayer of praise. This is a prayer of incredible joy. Why is he jumping up and down with excitement? Well, go back with me to the first chapter in verse 4. In fact, I'll start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, here's the word election, elected us, he elected us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, typically, when we talk about predestination and election, we automatically start creating a little division. People begin to move over here, perhaps over here. Uh, and I think we miss the whole point. We often frame the question of election and predestination in terms of salvation. And I think we miss the whole point of what this is about. In fact, I'm convinced of it. And I praise God because more and more scholars that are writing are beginning to say, wait a minute, we missed the point here. So this isn't new with me. I copy people all the time. It's called plagiarism. What are we elected to? What are we chosen to do? Remember back when you were in high school, maybe middle school, um, and you decide to go out and you play sports and you're going to divvy up the teams and you pick two captains and they start picking and I want you on my team and I want you on my team. Remember that? You're chosen. Somebody is choosing you for what purpose? To play whatever sport you're going to play, right? And what is it we always want to say? Oh, pick me, pick me. I was the asthmatic and so I always got chosen last. <laughs> I wasn't the fastest or the most athletic or the best looking. I know that's changed. Uh, <laughs> but right? Pick me, pick me. I don't want to be picked last. I want to be picked for something. When you turn to Christ, that election becomes real. And, and, and every one of you has a purpose to play. Just like on a sports team, you get chosen to do something. What is it we get chosen to do? That's where we lose the discussion. Right there. All right, look at the words that he says. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, 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 holy. Now, when I say holy, most of you probably stop and start looking at your character. Somehow I'm supposed to be better than I am. Right? How holy do you have to be to enjoy the Lord's presence? 38%? 42%? Our elders are up around 75% is what I'm guessing. <laughs> How holy do you have to be? It's not a continuum. It's not a gradient. It's not like you're somewhat holy or not holy. You either are or you aren't. 
It's not a percentage. But what does it mean? All right, so I'm going to, you can turn to me if you want to, or you can sit and listen. I'm going back to Exodus. Exodus 19. The uh, Israelites are at the beginning of the third month, and they're out of the slavery to Egypt. And they had, they're standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and they had not yet met God, the one true living God. They had heard about him. He had, um, they had, he had demonstrated his power. They saw the ten plagues, but he had not spoken to them in 400 plus years. So they only knew the stories from their forefathers passed down from generation to generation. They're about to meet God for the first time. Right here. Okay? This is a story. It's a fantastic story. It's a hilarious story. At the beginning of the story, they're standing right up against the base of Mount Sinai. Then you have the lightning and the thunder and the trumpet and the earth is shaking and the whole mountain is going like that. And then it says the people stood at a great distance. What happened? They ran away. So they're at the, at the one side of the valley and then at the end of the story, they're at the other side of the valley cowering in fear because they saw who the true God was. And the gods of Egypt never did that. And so this is what God says. The first thing he says to them, you yourselves know, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Out of all the nations, I choose you, that's election, to be my treasured possession. For what? Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we're starting to get a glimpse of why he chose them. When we say, DCC, you are a congregation of priests. I'm going to defend that in a second. You should do this. You should start looking around and say, on behalf of whom? I'm not a priest on behalf of my own self. Can't do that. But I could be a priest on behalf of you. That's why these words are chosen. These are why these words are used. They're very precise. I will make you a kingdom of priests. And we begin to capture a glimpse of what it means to be holy. Here's God. And he surrounds himself with a kaleidoscope of nations. And he elects one of the nations. He chooses one of the nations to go reach the rest. So what does he say to Abraham in Genesis 12? All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So we're going to hear this phrase over and over and over again, a blessing to the nations. Are we a blessing to the nations as a church? That is our prime responsibility. From creation to new creation, we are to be a blessing to the nations. Holiness is something that is given to you. You cannot earn it. You can't develop it. You can't grow it. You can't become more holy. In Hebrews 10.10, it says, For by the will of God, we have been declared or made holy once for all time. You're the holy or you're not. Are you holy? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, yes, you are. Now, just as an aside... I know most of you start, well, I don't feel holy. Well, that raises another question in the New Testament called transformation. That has nothing to do with holiness. First Peter 10, I mean, Hebrews 10, 10, you've been declared or made holy once for all time. For what purpose? First Peter, again, I'm just, I'm reading a couple of verses from chapter one. 
to God's elect, verse 2, who have been chosen, there's that word, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The word sanctifying, in fact, anytime you read any of these words, you read the word sanctifying, sanctification, um, consecration, holy, holiness, being made holy, saints, they all, from the, they all come from the same Greek root, which has to do with holiness. Every one of those words. So you could read this, who have been chosen, that's us, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the work of the Spirit to make us holy. It gives you a sense of how we became holy, it's through the work of the Spirit, not through our own work. Why? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. Or in chapter 2, verse 9. This is a, the New Testament version of Exodus 19. He quotes Exodus 19. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There it is. A royal priesthood. On behalf of whom? That's what we should be doing, looking around. Church and saying on behalf of whom? A holy nation. The word holy simply means you are different. You have been assigned a different purpose. Only God is holy when it comes to his character. Old Testament makes that very clear. Only God is holy. So when we begin to look at the purpose of what holiness is talking about, then God has made us holy. He has given us a purpose. He has made us distinctly different from the world around us. Not better, different. And what does it mean to be holy? We are to reflect his glory. Now, when you go back into the Old Testament, a little teaser, when you see those commands in the Mosaic Law, they all serve the same purpose. Don't eat meat and cream together. What in the world is that about? The Canaanites did that as part of their worship practice. So God says, don't you do it. We looked a little different than the Canaanites, didn't we? We became holy. Every command, we look a little different than the nations around us. We're holy. Every command, a little different than the world around us, we look holy. So some of those commands that you can't figure out in the Old Testament, they're there for a reason, because they made Israel look different than the surrounding nations. The moment they put that uh, law in there about uh, the meat and cream at the same time, they look different than the Canaanites. Guess what they did? So God is in the purpose of making us holy. All right, so back to Ephesians. You were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy, to be different. For what reason? Only one, to reflect his glory to the world around us. How else are the nations going to know? Here's God, and there's a kaleidoscope of nations, and they're all fallen. They're all in trouble. Genesis 3 through 11. Just read the cascading destruction of sin. Everything you can think of is occurring. And so God chose one of the nations, Abraham, to go reach the rest. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. Are we a blessing to the nations? When you wake the dead, you know what happens? You start to become a blessing to others. That's what it means. Do you think that way? If not, you should change your thinking. So when you wake up in the morning, whatever you set about to do, start with this idea. God is thrilled with what I'm about to do. Unless it's sin. If that's the case, just don't do it. <laughs> but our normal everyday lives, 
There's nothing mundane about our lives. There's nothing rote. There's nothing boring. Everything we do is the platform by which God reflects his glory. That's why there's so much in here about attitudes and about all of these things. Well, I I understand that you guys spent quite a bit of time in Romans as a church. So this was probably familiar to you. Another reason that Paul is excited in Romans 1, verse 5, through him... We received grace and apostleship, that's through Jesus Christ. We received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. To call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience. And then he concludes Romans, a bookend if you will. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden from long ages past, but now revealed, prophetic writings, okay, so that all the Gentiles might come to faith and obedience. Romans is a sustained, extended argument about being a blessing to the nations. That is the core message. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And that righteousness is, all that means is putting to rights all that is wrong. All that's broken. It's not about you as an individual. It's about us as a church. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That means putting to rights all that's broken, all that's wrong. Isn't that a fantastic message to tell the nations? We serve a God that cares about his creation. And he's in the business of redeeming all of it. Romans 8, right in the middle of the book. All of the creation is awaiting the redemption of God. Your animals. I have no idea how a tree praises God, but the psalm says it does. And Romans 8 says our trees are waiting for the redemption. That says something about creation care. We'll come back to that at a later date. But creation care should be at the core, one of the core elements of our theology. We care for this place because it's a gift from the living God. It is. If you've ever been to a third world country that has no significant Christian influence, you understand what I mean. We care about this. This is our home. It's a fantastic place. We'll come back to that. So Paul, his whole message was wrapped up in being a blessing to the nations, going out to the Gentiles. He felt that call. No wonder he's praising God because I praise God because of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for everyone. Your love for all of creation. It's a fantastic message, isn't it? Is it encouraging knowing that you are part of being a blessing to the nation? Does that encourage you? That what you do matters? Why abstain from sexual immorality? Why? Because you become a blessing. We could ask that question about everything. Why take care of the poor, the needy? Because you become a blessing to others. In all that you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There's nothing mundane about our lives. Absolutely nothing. Everything you do is exciting. Because the Spirit of God is at work convicting people around you, reflecting the glory of the Lord. Now do you see why Paul got so excited? Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, I can't stop praying for you. 
God, thank you for that. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Then he goes on. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. Remember, you don't have the New Testament. One of the ways the Spirit talks to us and communicates to us is through his word. And so Paul's prayer is, you guys are already loving people and you don't even, you don't even know the real reason why. So that you may know him better. Why did the first century Jewish Christians, why were they so bold? They have the same spirit we do. Why are they so bold and we tend to struggle a little bit sometimes being anemic? I think it's because they know the story. They knew the story of which they belonged and they were a part of. And it's been my experience that the church in America is pretty weak. They don't know where they belong in the story. Let me say it again. Nothing about your life is boring. Because that's how God reveals his glory. You belong to something much bigger than yourself. It is not about you. It is about you in the context of us. And together, when we live righteous lives, the Spirit just goes out and does his thing. Convicts the world. So one of the things we want to do is we really want to help you learn where are you in this story. If you understand where you are in the story, then your life matters. It counts. What you do matters. It counts. It doesn't matter how mundane it feels to you. It matters. He goes on, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in all his people. Pause. Inheritance. What was the inheritance that the Jews held on to and grasped hold of? Remember? The promised land. This is our land. In fact, it's so important. If I get myself in trouble and I sell it to you, every so many years, you've got to give it back. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is our inheritance here, right here. We've created this whole scenario about us dying and going to heaven. But the last chapters of Revelation present a very different picture. The new earth comes to us. God refashions this earth. This is our home. We'll come back to creation care at a later date. This is our home. No wonder you guys live in God's playground here. And me too now. And you love it. And you get out, don't you, all the time. You hike and you ski and you sail and you do all kinds of crazy things. Scott Price rode his bike from his house to Vail and back. That's never going to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> it might in eternity. This is our home. This is our inheritance. We shall inherit the earth. This is a good thing because the earth was made for us. And he talks about his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. When God saved you, that was a demonstration of the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And when you live your lives and you do your part in the world and you do it faithfully and God somehow reflects his glory, he does that with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Don't ever think your life is mundane and boring. Because whatever you do, in word or deed, when you do it faithfully, God's power, even if you can't see it, His power is at work. Somebody is noticing. Somebody's paying attention. Okay.
So what happens when you wake the dead? We become a blessing to the nations. Are we a blessing to the nations? We're going to take the offering in just a minute. And I'm going to argue that, in fact, we're going to have two offerings. We're going to receive two offerings today, that we are a blessing to the nations. One, we're going to pass, yesterday's going to come, and we're going to pass the basket back and forth. And you put, as Paul says, you decide to put in there what God has purposed in your heart. What you have purposed in your heart through the leading of God's Spirit. You decide. What do we do with that money? It's easy to think of our budget in terms of how much we spend on salaries and buildings and facilities and electricity and all that stuff. Forget all that. Forget all that. Just for a moment. How many of you uh, were, were connected to VBS this year, Vacation Bible School? Let me see your hands. We had, what, 230-some kids here. Many of them came from homes that weren't Christian homes. Are we a blessing to the nations? We are, right? We're getting ready to do Marriage 101, aren't we? Where we're going to talk about strengthening marriages. Is that being a blessing to the nations? I know of a lot of people that don't know Christ that would give anything to have a good marriage. We have, a, we have one whole small group that's just devoted to divorced people. And we've been talking about doing more work with those who are divorced. Because it is a big problem in our county. Are we a blessing to the nations? We loan our facility out. If you come here, it's like the temple. When you walk through here, the Jewish temple, any day of the week, there's something going on. There's kids running around screaming. There's parents. There's moms. There's commotion. Everything. It's wonderful. Is that being a blessing to the nations? It is, isn't it? So as the ushers come to take an offering, let me just pray on your behalf. And I'm thankful for all of you for what you give. Father, I pray that you would bless us. Thank you, Lord, for these gifts and offerings that we are about to receive. And I pray, Lord, that you would put on the hearts of our congregation what you want them to give. And then uh, our commitment, Lord, is to use it faithfully to be a blessing to the nations. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. When a man gets a broke, it's a mournful thing. Yeah, he loses it to shine, and there's that hollow rain. When a man gets broke, it's a crying shame. Because you roam from town to town and never know his name. Like a city that's broke down and has no walls. Is a man who's broke down Is a man who falls Yeah, he's wide open To jabs of any kind And any thief can come along And rob him blind But you have your ways You have your means And you can take a man And restore him to yeah, you have your ways by which I'm found And I've seen you take this man and raise him from the ground And you make him strong And you help him to see And you make him just about as strong as any man can be As we prepare for communion, 
Uh, as Mark said early on, we have locations on 